listening to the house of mercy on the water's edge was a man who met the savior so the gospel said waiting there he was with the lepers and the lame till an angel it was told down from heaven came folks tuned in from all around near and far just to listen to house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir we're just listening to the house of mercy waiting for the waters to stir. Nature is above all profligate. Don't believe them when they tell you how economical and thrifty nature is whose leaves return to the soil? Wouldn't it be cheaper to leave them on the tree in the first place? Annie Dillard. Welcome to the House of Mercy podcast. Thanks for tuning in to listen. Hope you're someplace good listening to this or someplace okay or you know, wherever you are. It's great to have you out there. It uh, sure is, yeah. And uh, I'd like to tell everybody some uh, new, uh, news. Don Picard, a uh, longtime member of House of Mercy, uh, died this morning. He uh, lived a interesting and full life, age of 94, and uh, died in his sleep. And I just thought that you would uh, all want to know. And... Uh, Willie asked that I, I let the whole House of Mercy community know about the passing of our good friend, Don Picard. Hey, here's some better news, good news. We're going to see people next Sunday, right, for the Feast of Jonah. Hopefully you can make it. We'll be COVID careful with social distancing, but we're going to meet in person outside next Sunday, 5 p.m., on the church lot. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to have uh, we're going to have great new sound system we got ready to go, and uh, we're going to have some such good music with our friend Johnny Hermanson of Story Hill. He's going to play, um, yeah, a little mini show, uh, play during the service. So you know, bring uh, bring your friends, uh, and yeah, masks, social distancing, and we are going to have communion, um, and so to. B Y O B O C. Yeah, bring your own body of blood of Christ, right? So, if you want to bring a juice box and a cracker, or you want to bring uh, some bread and wine, and you want to, you know, bring some other food to start early, you can, uh, you know, bring your charcuterie board or tacos, whatever you want, and you could uh, enjoy those during the service. Can be a thing on the lawn, you know, you have your blanket. And uh, if you want, you bring your camp chairs. And uh, then at some point during before the communion, we will, of course, uh, 
bless the body and blood and all take communion uh, together in socially separate way, I guess. But it's going to be so great to see everybody. And, uh, yeah, please, if you want to come and just... We can set up a chair, you know, across the street from you if you're worried about getting too close. Whatever we can do to accommodate you, we'd love to see you safely. But we just will really love to all be together. Can't wait. And you know what? We're going to do this whether it rains or not. So maybe you want to bring an umbrella just in case. Uh, but, yeah, we're going ahead. We can't wait to see some people. So. Right, and we'll have some big tents, a couple of big tents set up. Uh, uh, if those are needed, we can move them into place. Uh, yeah, and, you know, the Feast of Jonah is our uh, yearly feast, the uh, autumnal equinox, where we begin to uh, move into more contemplative time as the days begin to get shorter and the night begins to get longer um, as animals begin to burrow in and, uh, look forward to uh, winter. What are we saying? You go into your cave, right? It's a time of uh, contemplation. And that's what we'll be, uh, every year we write essays and have um, around those themes. Usually we invite um, guests, essayists. Um, but uh, Debbie and I, since we haven't got a chance to speak to you uh, in person in a long time, we'll be uh, writing and sharing essays for the occasion on the theme of... Uh, Jonah. Yep, and going into the dark as if it's not dark already. Yes, uh, so maybe a little reflection on going into the dark instead of maybe just trying to um, dull our senses to the fact that we're going into the, the darkness. Um, yeah, and as a matter of fact, for this, uh, this Sunday, uh, for today, uh, is for instead of our sermon, I know I promised last week's part two, but that is not quite ready yet. Part two of last week's sermon, The Riot at the Temple. We're going to hear some uh, other essays from past feasts of Jonah. So we got uh, some of them by um, Adam Tolley and, of course, Sonia Olson, Linda Henry, and uh, Dan Hoisington. So that'll be great to hear those. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, Hi. yes. <laughs> this is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, thank you for pitching your tent among us. Help us rest in its shade, or if you have a drink to offer, we could use it. We are thirsty and tired and we need to know you are with us. Help us see you where we are. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. All right, please join with us in singing House of Mercy hymn number one, Church in St. Paul. There's a church in St. Paul where the sinners are called and the role it has no end. A place in our city where mercy and pity bleed from the side of the land. Shall we meet again? Yes, we'll meet again. Yes, dear sin. Friend. Yes, dear friend. 
Cruises and cars With the theaters and bars Our church stands hand in hand And the cross on the door Beckons welcome but more It proclaims And all shall come in Shall we meet again? Yes, we'll meet again Yes, dear prayer or petition with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond here our prayer. God of mercy, it's hard to know what to ask for when it comes to the world. There's so much that needs attention. We pray that you are paying attention. We ask for rain in the West to stop the fires. We ask for a shift in consciousness that would change the course of climate change. We pray for rest or unrest, whichever is appropriate in any given situation, to put an end or at least a dent in racism. We pray that we can emerge from the pandemic, from all the death and destruction, with some new understanding, some new determination to care for each other. We ask that humans will find a way to make peace and love instead of war and more hate. If it's all in our hands, well, we need some help. But we pray for your breath, your heart, your voice, your anything to enliven and lead us. God, in your mercy. We pray for the church. Not that the institution will thrive. We're probably a bit beyond that. But that we will keep finding ways to look beyond ourselves to what we can't quite grasp, but is so important that we never stop trying to see or understand or feel a love, a mercy that's bigger or, or smaller, microscopic, but everywhere that we might cr keep creating beloved and loving community. God, in your mercy. God, in mercy, we pray for those who mourn, for those who weep, for those who are anxious and afraid and lonely, for those without homes or whose homes are not safe or good places. We pray that you will reach people who are suffering and provide some sort of relief. Sometimes it doesn't really seem like you've pitched your tent with us. Draw us in, help us see. God, in your mercy, we pray that you, your spirit, will intervene for us with groans too deep for words or the warmth of gratitude as we pause for silence.
Help us live in the mercy. Amen. Reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 29 through 32. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon and see something greater than Solomon is here. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah, and see something greater than Jonah is here. The word of the Lord. Clip art season. The best secrets are kept. Words to live by, Joyce reminded herself while waiting at a stoplight to change. Because when you're a vampire living in St. Paul, flashy clothes and dramatic behavior gets the neighbors talking. She gave herself an encouraging look in the rearview mirror. You keep busy around the house, and you keep going to work, she said. A truck behind her honked after the light turned green, and she waved a small apology. Summer was winding down, and in a few days, the autumnal equinox would bring longer nights, a relief for vampires like Joyce. But lately, Joyce had been in the dumps. She wasn't getting any younger, and she wasn't getting any older. (laughs) Since 1980, she had been 55 years old, and that's how old she would always be. She cut the engine of her Buick Skylark outside the offices of Easy Care, a vinyl siding company where she worked. Anyhow, she reminded herself, a woman these days can work her way to the top of the business world if she just believed in herself. Joyce's cubicle was in the back of the office, away from the windows, and under a fluorescent lamp that was starting to burn out. It was the murkiest corner of the building, and about three rows away, from where anyone else sat. It had been her cube for years. She liked to think that she was, uh, that her work had meaning to the vinyl siding enterprise, but mostly she was left to her own devices. She didn't have a computer at her desk. Her desk was a tomb, left untouched by workplace technology. So many employees and employers had passed through this office since Joyce started there. Their faces and names jumbled like fallen leaves raked into a pile. And now the shadow of another equinox drew nigh. Vampire immortality was like an endless and joyless summer for Joyce. She was stuck in time and ready for a change of season. The natural access around which birth, growth, reaping and death turned, spun without meaning for a vampire. 
all this time to kill in a world made for mortal men, took, took all the gumption out of Joyce to better herself and to get things done. Plenty of time to catch up on learning about computers, she said. A vampire's life usually begins with a kiss. It had been the new guy at the company Christmas party. Eyes made from across the room that made her blush had ended in a janitor's closet after too many drinks, and then the vampire's kiss. It had been a lark. She never behaved like that, and she felt guilty about it. The smell of rain came from an open door. Mr. Egloff, her boss, said his good mornings, then pointed an umbrella over cubicles to Joyce. Did you get my email about the newsletter? He asked a little too loudly. Make sure you use the pictures I attached from the vinyl convention. Joyce hissed through her fangs. And make it look nice, not like you used a typewriter. Every company newsletter she'd written since 1980 contained subliminal messages directed at individual employees. Reading the publication gave the sensation of being seduced and violated at once. And Joyce used a lot of clip art. In fact, she crammed the images into every page. Joyce was, after all, a vampire, so she knew secret things, except how to use a computer. So she knew how to set margins on a typewriter, and she had a cabinet full of clip art, really good clip art. In fact, she crammed these images into collages that enthralled the office and pissed off Mr. Egloff. Company news, tips for staying healthy during flu season, and the grip and grin photos were written in a, in a meta language of illustrations cut up and reassembled in, like hieroglyphics. She, didn't, um, she decorated the clip art by typing over the same place hundreds of times, each page splendid in design and hewn by the hammering of typewriter keys. She worked very fast because she was a vampire. But she also worked that way to push away the, so the sorrow of being the same age forever. The TV in her mind's eye turned on and she watched with the breathless night the last time she kissed a vampire. Then she was done. Then she was all alone at her desk with the finished news newsletter before her. Vampires can't cry, but Joyce felt tears welling up as if her eyes were constipated. This newsletter was a masterpiece, she knew. It was 50 pages long, and it told the allegorical story of man's natural place among the changing seasons. But it also reported news from the Vinyl Sighting Conference and where to get flu shots. It, it, it told the story of early man's wonder at how the earth bloomed and, and, 
and then fell into darkness of winter. The newsletter told of the equinox, and it told a subliminal message. It read, Your human lives pass me by on tiny rafts that will reach the sea I shall never know. Shine brightly in the short days and the long days and illuminate your precious life's journey. As he listened to the worm crunching away at the only comfort that he had left in the world, Jonah wondered, what if instead of praising, lamenting, and beseeching God, I had offered God a SWOT analysis? At a seaside cafe in his younger days, Jonah once overheard some guys talking about learnings and leveraging and the importance of having good thought leadership. He watched as one of them wrote on a big easel of paper with a blue marker. The guy drew a grid with four squares and labeled the squares strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. They called it a SWOT analysis. They filled in the boxes one by one, listing all the aspects of some big project, a startup or a product launch. It was all so clear-headed and rational. And for a moment, Jonah had thought about a career in marketing or product development. But that was a long time ago. Now he imagined what might have been. Maybe instead of praying to God from the belly of the fish, he should have leveraged those long-ago learnings and provided some thought leadership. Strengths. As the Almighty, you've got this one, God. You are strong. You sent a storm to rock the sea. You had me swallowed by a large fish. And I have faith that if this SWOT analysis pleases you and I agree to go preach to the Ninevites, you have the power to save me. So as far as strength, you're good, like with a capital G. Weaknesses. This one's pretty obvious, at least to me. Your weakness is your mercifulness. A little goes a long way, Lord, especially with all that strength. If I go preach to those guys and they repent, you're just going to forgive them. Where is the justice in this? Also, I feel at some point it's just enabling bad behavior, like I'm caught in this epic case of codependence in a town with no Al-Anon chapter. Opportunities. How's this for an opportunity? I'll just take a nap, or you could let me die. Much as I complain about the darkness and I praise being delivered from it, I have to, fam- I have to admit it's familiar, maybe even comfortable sometimes. As for Nineveh, where's the opportunity there? Why bother with them, even with their many cattle? Surely they will self-destruct. Another idea would, br- would be for you to just smite them, or threaten to smite them, and see if they repent. But let's eliminate the middleman, because I can't bear to watch what we both know is going to happen over and over and over. See above regarding your mercy. Threats. You are uniquely positioned, God, to be threatened by no one or no thing. How cool is that? It seems like you could be leveraging this more, especially in the current climate where we're facing strong headwinds, market uncertainty, and geopolitical violence and destruction. Some days it feels like the world is self-destructing. Wait, you do face a threat. Your creation is self-destructive. And if we destroy ourselves, what's left of you? Your mercy is all that can save us.
the neighbors were complaining again. He needed to adjust the lights, and this time it wouldn't be easy. The stray Siamese cat, performing its neighborhood watch, kept triggering the motion sensors as he chased mice and rabbits into the paralyzing gaze of the light. Maybe if he got rid of the motion sensors, it would be better. Angle them down a bit more? Yeah, yeah, that would do it. He could only illuminate his property, but he could illuminate all of his property. Things really hadn't been the same since the break-in. Sunlight may be the best disinfectant, but GE 2000 lumen spots would be a close second. It started with the front porch, where the burglars entered. When he saw the broken glass behind everything, a combination of dirty and dangerous, it sat in the corners of his mind. He set up a spotlight to see the glass, bits of wood, dirt, dirt everywhere. Then he realized the spotlight could keep his house more secure. He went to Menards and got motion-controlled spotlights for every entrance of his house. Sure, his electrical bill would go up, but a few dollars a year for peace of mind? He started leaving his house lights on as well. Somehow he actually slept better, knowing everything was revealed. By the next week, he noticed how dark it was around the corners of his living room windows. Now, Ralph, being a conscientious, conscientious homeowner, had cleaned his windows. He knew even a short stepladder could get you to window height. And bars, that, that just seemed paranoid. Just a motion-activated floodlight or two. That seemed reasonable. He checked out homewiring.com. The work was time-consuming for an amateur electrician, but the thought of lighting, of spotlight, of the lights spotting a burglar, stopping the burglar in his tracks, calmed Ralph's soul. When he stood on the sidewalk, he saw every inch of his white asbestos shingle house glowing, not a shadow to hide. But that's when the city got involved. Illuminating just the 10 feet on either side of his house was, and not the neighbor's windows took some work. And, well, just seemed less safe. Wasn't he doing them a favor? He guessed it was the flashing that woke them up. If he angled them just right and left them on, that should work. The neighbors wouldn't wake up, and he would be in the light. He got out a ladder, even though it was 10 o'clock at night, walking around the house to scope out the fixtures. He set off all of the sensors, making him smile. He climbed the ladder and started unscrewing the bolt, holding the motion sensor right below the floods, when he slipped. His screwdriver slid into the hastily installed junction boxes and touched the hot wire. He could feel the electricity arcing through his body with a pleasant aura illuminating even the night sky for a brief second before the weight of his body fell from the ladder into a lawn of total and complete darkness. The last thing he felt before he lost consciousness was the creeping of a mouse 
now safe from the stray cat. In 1940, four boys in southern France were walking in the woods when their dog disappeared into a depression in the ground caused by an uprooted tree. They found themselves standing atop a vast cavern covered with prehistoric paintings of animals and hunters. After years of commercial exploitation and damages by carbon dioxide, the actual cave is sealed off and visitors can now explore a replicated version. And just this past week, a previously unknown cave was discovered by chance in the foothills of Jerusalem. The location of the cavern, full of stalactites and stalagmites, natural phenomenon protected by Israeli law, is being kept secret until proper steps can be taken to protect and maintain the conditions that sustain the cave's health. But seemingly chance encounters with previously unknown caves do not only happen in faraway places. Caves have revealed themselves here in Minnesota as well. In 1924, a farmer went looking for his lost pigs in Harmony. The pigs and farmers soon found themselves immersed in one of the state's largest limestone caverns carved by an underground stream. 150 feet beneath the ground, a waterfall surrounded by canyons and gorges dropped 60 feet in what is now known as Niagara Caves. The ceiling itself reaches over 100 feet high. In 1937, Mystery Cave was discovered when a farmer in Preston began poking around with a crowbar at the base of a tree. He lost his grip on the crowbar and it disappeared below the ground. But the farmer heard a clink below and soon discovered he was standing above Minnesota's longest limestone cave. Carved by Root River, Mystery Cave spreads out for miles, is home to two underground lakes, prehistoric fossils, and a large hibernating bat population. I took a tour of Mystery Cave with my good friend Liz this past August. We opted, opted for the flashlight tour, which took us through more rustic trails, and we had to enter through the back entrance. This entrance was created after it took too long to walk from the first entrance to the unexplored parts of the cave. So the farmer hired a group of college students to camp out in the cave and search for a second entrance. They spent three days underground before they saw roots growing through a rock. They started digging upward and soon the light broke through. They pushed their hands up through the dirt and emerged. Where they emerged is where we descended, a series of stairs and began our tour. We walked through passageways that were carved by streams that were home to 18 to 20 foot cephalopods, a fierce predator that is the ancestor to today's octopus and squid. Walking on the dried up riverbed, we passed through tunnels dotted with giant holes left behind by giant prehistoric worms. The trail led us to the edge of Blue Lake, and even in the relative darkness, the water was so clear you could see down to the lake bottom where stalagmites rose up like ancient jungle temples. Squeezing through narrow passageways, we emptied into large caverns that were surrounded by other small passages, some explored and some not. The, cave, or the guide asked us what life forms could exist this far deep into the cave, and the answer was nothing. No light to support plant life. No plant life means no bugs, no 
bugs mean no bats or bears or humans. This far into the cave, life ceases to exist. The only thing that exists is the cave. The only thing that exists is the slow, eternal dripping of water. Water slowly breaking through rock to create mineral deposits that grow into temples. Going deeper into the cave, we were entering the heart of the cave, the womb of the earth, but I now realize that it wasn't even a womb. We were in the void of the earth, in the empty spaces of the earth's gut, standing in the barren womb, if any womb at all, standing in the void. We were at least a mile beneath the earth's surface when the tour guide stopped. He said we should experience the cave as it naturally exists when we are not here. So all the flashlights were turned off, and instantly I was standing in utter darkness. Even though I had just been told no life form could exist here, in that moment I wasn't sure if the breath I heard was my own inhale or the cave's exhale. And I was not afraid. I wanted to linger in the blackness, abide in the nothingness. Without my sight, I was sure if I stood there long enough, I could hear the stalagmites forming feel the slight cracking of rock, hear the slow dripping of water. I could feel the slow, steady pulse of the earth breathing. And the most amazing thing is that I have nothing to do with it at all. No matter what I do or do not do, the cave continues to exist, seen or unseen. I have no control over what is happening right beneath my feet. What I believe to be solid ground is anything but... It is so much more. We are walking on unseen passages, unseen tunnels, unseen voids. We walk on utter beauty existing in utter darkness. That utterly beautiful darkness will find us. The water will find its way to our feet. On the night he was handed over to death, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to his disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. Do this in memory of me. We invite you to share communion during the hymn. House of Mercy hymn number three, Mercy is the Mansion. There's a wild kind of mercy this world will never claim. There's a bleeding heart so tender, mercy is contained. There's a place where sorrow's prisoners please, never spoke in vain. And its gates are closed to no one, is the preacher's glad refrain. Mercy is the mansion. Second chance, bad circumstance 
Desperate aren't denied And all their sins Are healed within And so Dawning in God's mercy Like the dawning of the day There's a light shown on the darkness That illuminates the way The brilliance of the Savior's light Dissolves our sins away And the gates have been thrown open For people gladly say Second chance, bad circumstance, desperate aren't denied, and all their sins are healed within, and so are yours and mine. Now may we look around wherever we are, and know that you are with us. The grace of God, the love of Christ, and the peace of the Spirit be with you. Amen.